this music from the Justice League film. And I, I kind of got the sense this morning that Jerry feels the need to meet out some justice to you, Greg, as it pertains Why? to your attire. Why? Wearing a Montreal Expos t-shirt, yes. which actually there's a funny story behind that, which I'll let you <laughs> I'll let you divulge that if you want. Out myself. I got dressed in the dark this morning, as I do every morning, and I went into my pile of golf shirts and put on my favorite one. Nice blue. What is, is, that, is that like a, what do you call that, a royal blue? Or? I would think so. Uh, kind of a jeweled tone, royal blue. And I look down and I go, there's a great big stain on this shirt <laughs> that I probably have not worn since September. So, uh, yeah, I had to go into the washroom and uh, do a little laundry. And now my shirt's drying on the back of my chair. But I revealed my Montreal Expos t-shirt, which I got in Montreal last February. Montreal Expos were my team when I was a little kid. And then when they moved to Washington, I migrated to the Chicago Cubs. Well, and what did you say, Jerry? I said, you call yourself a Cubs fan? Yesterday you're wearing a Padres hat. <laughs> Today you're wearing an Expo shirt. And what did I say to you? I said, you know why I was wearing a Padres hat? You know why I have a Padres hat? My buddy Scott Mortland from San Diego came in to surprise me for my birthday. Actually, you're lucky I'm not wearing a Padres t-shirt today because that's what he brought me. But he brought me the um, wrong size. So it doesn't ah, fit me as well as it should. Last year's. Last year's size. Yes. And so I had my Padres hat on yesterday for Scott because I met him down at Blue Bomber practice yesterday. And then we went for lunch. And then I took him uh, on our equivalent, what I called our, our PCH, our Pacific Coast Highway. Took him up Henderson Highway yep. to Half Moon for a hot dog oh, with the boys beauty. last night. And There's then across the Lockport Bridge. Just a quick sidebar on that. They recently renovated that to look like the old timey half moon, did they not? Well, it's fabulous. Yeah. Yes. That uh, it looks like an old school diner. It again. really does. It's it's terrific. And we went across the Lockport Bridge up to Lower Fort Gary and then drove uh, all the way back in the city down River Road. So I uh, gave Scott a little bit of a unique perspective on Winnipeg and I, I was bugging him that this is our equivalent of the Pacific Coast Highway, as close as we were gonna get in Winnipeg. Before you move on. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the half moon because I just learned that half moon serves something, and maybe Jerry knows about this. I believe it's called Beyond Meat. Have you they, heard of these burgers? They're serving Beyond Meat. Yes. There? Yeah. It, it, oh, tell, what wow. what is Beyond Meat? Well, it's basically a, a a plant-based burger that actually tastes like a real beef burger. Yeah, it's made out of and peas, it, I think. Yeah, and, and, and beets. The, and there's some kind of a vegetable hemoglobin in it that actually makes it look like it's all bleed like a burger would like it it's all okay. juicy and okay gotcha yeah that's interesting yeah apparently it's uh I, I don't like to use the the term game changer loosely because sure. it's it's such an overused term but uh i know that uh you know my girlfriend is is well, she calls herself cun vegan. She's vegan when it's convenient. <laughs> uh, but she likes cheese. So she's mostly vegetarian. But she she got excited about this. And uh, I'm glad that this all sort of happened because I wanted to mention it to Jerry. So yeah, the half moon on Henderson. Good to know. And you'll have to forgive me for not noticing that. <laughs> <laughs> At all. In any way, shape, or form was that on my radar. Hey, uh, speaking of food, man, we could talk about food probably one show a week. Yep. Just do our entire show about food in Winnipeg and some of the cool things going on. Need to get Kevin Bergen from the main ingredient we, in here. We need to, need to get him to come and hang out with us, uh, but he's a busy guy. Cho... 
and I'm I'm going to do my best to say his last name. Ven Vongsa. Venavongsa. Venavongsa. Thank you. Owner of Wasabi and Shasabi. Yeah. Opening a new restaurant. And I was reading that the, this morning. We Where? had him on the uh, on Pembina Highway. Oh, nice. Yeah. You ever been there? You know what? Sorry, forgive the the pause here. I just went to Chasabi yesterday for the very first time. No, you didn't. Yeah, the one on uh, King Street. They've got two two or three locations now. (laughs) And this is happening, we're learning this today? Yeah, I read it this morning in the paper. Wow, that's weird, man. Something called Choichi. It's a ramen place. Yeah, it's going to be a ramen. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, 1151 Pembina Highway. It's going to open up in the second week of June. And we had Cho in studio, I guess it was about a year ago. It was November 2016. How do you know that? What's that? You are. <laughs> yeah. Caught you. You have a memory and you can't <laughs> deny it now. <laughs> so, Occasionally I yeah, remember things. You, you do remember things. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what an entrepreneur, man. Yeah, well, he's pretty cool. So the three was because I remember when it was just the wasabi on Broadway, and I had some colleagues who swore by that place like it was the 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 elixir of life that they couldn't go without wasabi for lunch. And now there are three locations of that, three locations of chosabi. So wasabi is the sushi place. Chosabi is sushi burritos. So the burrito shell is a big leaf of seaweed. So it's like a sea, gigantic seaweed wrap or like a chunk of sushi? Yeah, it's just basically a giant California piece of sushi. Wrap. Wow. And it was so delicious. And uh, to learn now that he's doing yet another thing. What a, what a, this is a Winnipeg success story. we got to try to invite uh, Mr. Venavongsa to rejoin us. Well, it's a Winnipeg thing, too, just to be talking about something. And I go, oh, hey, look, uh, Cho's opening up another restaurant. I was just there yesterday. Give me a break. Well, and here's another Winnipeg what? thing then. As I'm, we're, so we after Chosabi, we walked over to Toad Hall. Yeah. And I'm walking up King Street, and this truck pulls up beside us as we're kind of casually sauntering along, and out comes the mayor. And I'm wearing my Winnipeg Thunder t-shirt, and I got my shades on, so Brian Bowman, I don't think he recognized me, he was on the phone, Yeah. and I just kind of said, Mr. Mayor, and he sort of went, hang on, on the phone, and he just kind of reached his hand out and shook my hand and said, hello there, how are you? And then he said, sorry, I'm just saying hi to some citizens, and I, I thought... I don't think See he recognized Batman? me. <laughs> Hello, citizen. I don't think James he recognized West. me. So. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Mayor. That was me yesterday. <laughs> Adam West. James West. Blue bomber mode. Adam West. Uh, you know. Hello, citizen. When he was Batman, he always oh. had that kind of, kind of had that attitude out in public. It was great. The fine citizens of Gotham City. Don't forget, he was also the mayor of Quahog. That is true. That yeah. is true. Uh, by the way, Don advises me that vegetarian is an indigenous word in origin for lousy hunter. Well, that's that's good. I'm a vegan. So, so just so you know. So, but this this bird, this Beyond Meat thing is something you can eat? Absolutely. I've been excited. I, I didn't even know they were out in Canada yet. I just read something saying that they were coming out in Canada this summer. Well, that half moon's not that far from here, so you got to go. Dinner plans. Okay. Yeah, I want to I want to try it too. If it's uh, if it's tasty, why not? If it's and it's got to be healthier. 20 grams of protein in one patty apparently. That seems like a lot. I don't know anything about how much is a, a proper serving of protein, but oh, <laughs> well, look at me! I know I, ha- I know I have. Give me some. I know I have lots of it in my belly right Give now. Give me some. Uh, speaking of uh, food, are you? Do you like mussels? 
<laughs> Not those kind. Uh, yes. Not the kind you're going to talk about. Zebra mussels invading Winnipeg Beach. We'll talk about that after 6.30. But up next on 680 CJOB, the, I was sitting in the newsroom today and I looked at this picture and I just I, I blurted out an expletive. The, the sight of this plane and behind it this giant column, this towering raging smoke, the wildfire in uh, Little Grand Rapids. We're going to talk more about evacuations in northern Manitoba in a moment. Clearly our top story of the day. That's up next on 680 CJOB. Hundreds of residents from Little Grand Rapids and Sapatawea Cree Nation were forced to evacuate due to fires that continue to burn out of control. Global News reporter Nikki Judy has more. They've been forced to flee and leave behind their belongings and homes because of a raging wildfire. It's smoky and it's really smoky and can't see anything, even houses. Selena Levac and Bertha Bushy caught one of the first flights out Wednesday morning, and even though they're safe, they're fearful for their community. Newborn babies out there still. Mm. I'm scared and I'm worried right now. On the ground in Winnipeg, emergency crews are on standby, providing care for the most vulnerable evacuees from Little Grand Rapids, while buses transport others to their temporary homes at local hotels. The evacuation started Tuesday, but heavy smoke made it unsafe for flights to continue, so they were put on hold till Wednesday. The community's leaders say it didn't have to be that way. We did try and uh, start evacuations a couple of days ago, and uh, the resources told us they had the fire under control. A provincial spokesperson tells Global News it did call the chief and several council members Monday, but said staff were not able to reach anyone. On Tuesday, the chief contacted Red Cross to start flying people out. At this time, I guess it's a rescue mission, not an evacuation. Officials believe at least 11 homes have been destroyed by the flames, but as the fire moves, that's a number that could grow. Nikki Judy, Global News. Councillor Clinton Keeper of Little Grand Rapids says evacuation efforts started for the people trapped in the community about 260 kilometres northeast of Winnipeg last night. Then uh, they couldn't get in anymore because the fire was scorching so fast and it was coming towards the community and to the airport. And they cancelled all flights. He also said that this is now not an evacuation. This is a rescue mission for his community. The Royal Canadian Air Force is pitching into the evacuation effort here in Manitoba's wildfires are forcing hundreds from their homes. And a CH-147 Chinook helicopter from Canadian Forces Base Petawawa picked up 90 people from Little Grand Rapids and took them to Red Lake, Ontario. And then from there, they were picked up by a CC-130H Hercules and brought to Winnipeg. We're looking forward to an update on this situation in the next hour or so right here on 680 CJOB. Sometimes we just should be a music station. Great song. You usually have a method to your madness. I'm looking ahead into what we're talking about in this segment, and I'm calling you out. It Are doesn't you? match up to anything. Oh, but it does. It does? It oh. does. Rebel Rebel by David Bowie was on the album Diamond Dogs. Yes. Which was released on this day in 1974. And that has wow. to do with anything we're going to talk about 
just the fact that uh, I wanted to listen to a song. <laughs> that, uh... I knew it. I knew it. it was a selfish play on your part. <laughs> I'm you allowed to be selfish occasionally. If you can indulge, indulge in this kind of stuff. Great song. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'll just shut up for a couple more seconds here. Change music, didn't he? He really did. Absolutely. David Bowie. Rest, may he rest in peace. Um, we have loyal listeners. Yep. And so thank you to all of them. And they're not shy to out either one of us when we slip up a little bit. Oh, no, not at all. Eve happened to, to make an observation about Greg's forecast at about 6.15 or so. He says 50% chowers. And uh, I thought, what does this mean? So I had to go back and check the tape. Mainly cloudy tonight, 40% showers of uh, a chance of showers, 40% showers of 40% showers of showers of showers of showers of economy, economy of words. Yeah. Yes. Chance of showers, showers. Well, I I know that. 40% showers. I know that I have said uh, chance of flowers before i think jeff bronze called for a chance of flowers as well oh good um i know that well i had that that forecast where i said uh chance or it's going to be money today money but yeah. it was money it was a money forecast one time i tried to read the temperature and i said it or no i how did i do it i, I tried to read the time and i think i said it's it's minus 11 <laughs> i don't know the, the time is minus 11 no, wait, that's not right. <laughs> Almost said minus something the other day, and it had been above zero for a couple of weeks already. Anyway, thanks, Eve, and uh, thanks to everyone who listens so closely. We love going back and forth with you on the text messages, 780-6868. It's like you're right here in the studio with us, and we, quite frankly, absolutely love that. Now, during Jeff Braun's news, a story came across the Newswire. Of course, Newswire is an old-fashioned term, but it still applies in this digital age. Well, what caught our attention, Brett? Yeah, this is from our sister station in Vancouver, where in downtown Vancouver, a global news reporter, Romina Dea, found a group of children left alone in a vehicle. Romina was in a parkade under the law courts when she heard the muffled sound of a baby crying. There were four young children inside the SUV, including a baby who looked less than six months old. All of the kids appeared to be under seven years old. There was no adult. The door was unlocked. The father of the children is an RCMP officer. He told me his babysitter cancelled last minute. He said it was imperative he did not miss work. He said the kids were in the vehicle for about 30 minutes and he was checking on them. The RCMP says it is aware of the incident and it's investigating. Romina Dea, Global News. So you're you're a parent, you're a Mountie, you leave your kids in the car and the first person to, to find them, to notice them, is a reporter. You're, you know you're having a bad day when. Yeah. You know, you should not be doing this at I'm, all. I don't care who you are, what walk of life you are from. There's no re- justifiable reason for this. And to be outed like this has got to be incredibly embarrassing. But how irresponsible of any parent to do this, to basically use your car as a daycare center. I don't care if you're checking on these kids every five minutes. Five minutes is way too long to be leaving your kids alone in a car, especially when you've got like a a, a newborn, an infant in the car. Oh, my word. I, there, 
I hope there are some ramifications here. Well, Kyla Lee is a lawyer with Acumen Law in Vancouver. Here's what she had to say. There's no law that says how old the child has to be to be left alone. There's a guideline of 10 years old, but there's no specific law. So you can't be charged with an offense for leaving your child alone because they're six and not seven or eight and not nine. Um, There's no specific law. That's interesting. Yeah, the law. The law, I don't think, really applies here. This is this is conduct, right? Un, unbecoming of a parent, never mind an officer of the law. And uh, this will be fascinating to watch this story develop because I guarantee this is not the last. This is the first we're hearing of it. I suspect we'll be hearing more about this story throughout the day, maybe even over the next couple of days. And also what is not becoming... Millions of zebra mussels. Oh I feel like millions might be an underestimation I on this. I think it could be multiple... Mil- could it, I don't know if it could be billions. You've seen the video. Well, I just just looking at what's on the shore looks like it could be in the And it's a billions. shovel deep. Yeah. It's a shovel deep. We're talking about zebra mussels that have invaded. These are the shells invaded areas uh, near Winnipeg Beach. Global News reporter Tim Brook visited the shores of Lake Winnipeg to see how bad it is. The waves brought them in by the millions. This is ugly. Yeah, this is unsightly. Shovels full of zebra mussels coating Winnipeg Beach. I haven't seen it like this at all before uh, in the years that I've been here. So this is very unusual. Shocking residents who say the infestation is not just ruining their view, it's a safety hazard. Some of the kids who were swimming were getting cut by uh, by some of the shells. But it's not all bad news for Winnipeg Beach. The bulk of the zebra mussels are here near the marina, which means they haven't yet taken over the main beach. But there have been some signs they're headed that way. The lake has become a lot clearer, and I know that's one of the byproducts. The mayor says it's not as bad as what's washed up on the east side of Lake Winnipeg, but that doesn't mean the community isn't on watch. Realistically, I, I think we could get to those levels. We are concerned and it's important that people understand with the zebra mussels, there's not much we can do. But that's no comfort to residents. I'm worried about the lake. I'm worried that, uh, that we're going to lose a, a precious resource. As they watch the zebra mussels multiply. Hopefully they'll be gone uh, when their time is up. Tim Brook, Global News. Now, the species first appeared in the area in 2013 because they reproduce so quickly and are transported so easily. There is now little people can do to get rid of them. The community in the province did take steps in previous years to rid the lake of the mussels using liquid potash, but they have still spread rapidly. They already appear by the thousands on Victoria Beach and the video. Go to globalnews.ca. It's absolutely shocking. Imagine... I would say 10 to 15 centimeters of snow, but instead of snow, it is zebra mussel shells on top of the sandy beach, kind of on a sandbar. It's absolutely mind-boggling to see this with your own eyes. You can only sort of imagine it. Go to the website and check out the video for yourself. And they also mentioned uh, that they are still, the the main beach at Winnipeg Beach has largely... Not been uh, affected by this, but the water is noticeably clear. That's one of the... And how does that work? Quote, unquote, benefits. Uh, Well, as I understand it, the mussels kind of feast on the algae. 
Okay, and so it's it's kind of a kind of a scrubber sort of a, a scrubbing sort of effect on the water. Uh, so that's the benefit, quote unquote. Yeah, because these zebra mussels. I've always found Winnipeg Beach hard enough to walk. On yes. Because isn't it just rock at it, the bottom? It's not like Grand Beach, right? Yeah. Where it's purely a sand bottom. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Uh, what, do, what do they call those? Aqua socks or the water shoes yeah. are a good idea. I, I would say in the past they were a good idea. Maybe imperative henceforth on the beaches on the entire south basin of Lake Winnipeg. We're using all those words. Just 40% showers. Showers. Chance, yeah, chance of showers. Was it Kelly? Was it Kelly on Married with Children? Did 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 she do a stint as a weather person? Yes, she did. Uh, let me see if I can find that here for you. There is a strom coming to <laughs> Chick Ago. <laughs> Chick Ago. Oh. That's the voice of Kelly Moore, the sigh of Kelly Moore. Tristan Field Jones in for Shanley Vidal. Jeff Braun, of course, behind the glass, Jerry, joining us to uh, have a chat about advice for university grads. And maybe Kelly Bundy should have gone to university because she would know Chicago versus Chicago. And uh, that would be just the very beginning of the education that she'd received. Um, Kelly, would you give your... Would you give your 22-year-old self any different advice if you could go back in time? What advice would you give yourself, never mind those graduating today? Take advantage of the opportunity to see the world if that comes your way. Uh, When I was 19 or 20, I uh, had an opportunity to uh, go over to West Germany and uh, uh, broadcast. West West Germany? Yes, it was West Germany at the time. Interesting, Uh, West Germany. My kids would have no idea what you're talking about. Well, that was before the wall came down. But uh, at any rate, uh, there was a a Canadian Armed Forces base there, and they they had a broadcast unit. And not that I specifically, but I had the chance to apply for it. And didn't. Mm. And it's one of those things that I've always thought about. So if any opportunity at all to gain life experience, I say take it. And if you're going to go into a vocation, uh, I would probably say software and technical is the route to go if you have a passion for it. I'm just waiting for Jeff Braun to have the zinger about West Germany and the wall oh, coming down. Yeah. Yeah, that was serious stuff. We don't joke about that. Um, Tristan. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> Come on. Jeez. You're just itching, Braun. You're no. just itching. No. Jeff, what advice would you have I, for I university have no advice. Uh, just advice to everybody in general. Just try not to be a jerk. The world's a better place for it. That's it. Too bad you didn't take that advice. I know. <laughs> wow! That's 2018 in a nutshell. If you're not 100% perfect, you're no good at all. So you can try, but don't you dare fail. I feel bad for them actually having to grow up in that sort of environment. Actually, uh, can I add your 2018 in a nutshell? If you can't do at all, don't bother doing anything yeah. because for, you get you get you know ragged on for 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 trying, right? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, on that subject, here's uh, seeing as I'm. On a Simpsons clip kick, here's uh, some advice that I would give. I think Bart and Lisa are feeling a little upset right now. Isn't there something you'd like to say? There sure is. Kids, you tried your best and you failed miserably. The lesson is never try. (laughs) (laughs) Tristan, can you talk about Homer Simpson advice? No, I don't think I can. I I would like to echo what Kelly said, though, in terms of opportunities, and that is something uh, that I'm fortunate uh, in my life that I did 
heed the advice of is in terms of taking opportunities. And I'll use one example. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to take part in an exercise at uh, Shiloh with the Canadian forces there uh, as an embedded journalist. And I was initially hesitant about it because I'd never done anything along those lines. And it was like, oh, I don't know if this is in my wheelhouse at all. It turns out that was one of the greatest experiences ever. And I'm so glad I took part in that. And you really get to see a different side of things when you do this. So I would say just in terms of, of Kelly's advice, yeah, take, you see an opportunity, take it if you can. And there's positions where, you know, I haven't always had, uh, uh, always been super happy with the job that I've had in all sorts of fields. And yet it has almost always led to something else. So you're not going to get your dream job right out of college or university, except that. And frankly, if I had my dream job right out of college or university, that'd be kind of unfortunate because it's almost as if I wouldn't have worked for it. And that's just so much more rewarding. Wow. That's really deep, Tristan. It's kind of profound. Yeah. We should have had some very uh, classical music playing underneath yeah, that. Yeah, just thinking Can like we that. turn that like into a, a poster or one of those wood signs that you hang at the cottage or Tristan, in the kitchen? Yeah, Tristan won. Jeff brought in Homer Simpson nothing. No <laughs> kidding. Wow. <laughs> you know, the people talk about luck, but luck is where opportunity and preparation meet, yeah. right? And so the whole idea of just always being on your toes and recognizing those potential opportunities for what they can be, I think, is outstanding advice. I, I try to live by that. Jerry, any advice for this crop of university graduates? Not that they need it from us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just because you're graduating doesn't mean that you know exactly who you are and what you are going to be doing. But uh, to find out what it is that you really love and what you're really passionate about and what you're really good at, throw yourself wholeheartedly at whatever it is you're doing. And if it's not right, throw yourself wholeheartedly at something else. And eventually that is how you're going to find what it is you're meant to do. Yeah, I, uh, st I, one of the hardest things that I still deal with is stepping out of the comfort zone. This is kind of a follow on what you were saying, Tristan. And uh, every time I do, generally, it, 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 in terms of trying new things, whether it's professionally or even personally, like simple things like, oh, I've never tried that food before. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, nope, meat and potatoes, that's it. And I feel like you're just, you're just closing yourself off to new experiences. So, yeah, just... To make sure you take advantage of your opportunities, make sure you step out of your comfort zone, because the longer you stay in your comfort zone, the harder it's going to be when you eventually have to, because sometimes you just have to do stuff you don't want to do. So if you can do it voluntarily, then yeah, do it for sure. Yeah, and I always say uh, to my younger siblings and people in my circle, I I'm not interested in what you're, what you're stopping in your life or what you're quote unquote quitting. I wonder what you're doing. Never make a decision based on quitting something. Do something to its maximum potential. Make use of every opportunity in life, uh, but most of all, be working towards something, not running from something. War apps mailing out key tags you've maybe do you get those in the mail Greg? i did get in the mail <clears throat> absolutely i did i got them late last week so um yeah i suspect a lot of people have questions about these key tags why do they get sent out what are they for how do you activate them we have the answers james jordan is the safety events coordinator for the war amps he joins us now live on 680 cjob good morning mr jordan Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Uh, the first question, I, I got to ask you this uh, because I had someone ask me the other day, where do you get everyone's mailing address to send out these tags? Uh, well, actually, uh, we receive a list, um, depending on the province, um, from the government. 
um, which was a, a sort of a deal that was made way back when, uh, when we first started our key tags back in 1946. Um, it was war amputee veterans that, that started the service uh, to provide wall service to Canadians, but also try and provide some funding for the organization. So um, they, uh, you know, they made a deal with um, different provinces to receive the drivers list. Uh, and when we receive that list, we send our key tags out to everyone uh, who's on it, depending on, uh, again, um, each province. Um, but for, for Manitoba, that is the case. And otherwise, anyone who signed up for the key tags would also receive them. So, James, tell us a little bit about these key tags. I think if you're of a certain age, you've absolutely seen these in your lifetime, but may not even understand how the service works and and why you're sending the, these tags out. So uh, give us a rundown of the program, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. Uh, well, like I mentioned, uh, the war amps, you know, it started, well, 100 years ago. We're celebrating, uh, celebrating our 100th anniversary this year, actually. And it was the first World War Amputee veterans that started uh, the war amps to, to help support um, themselves when they, when they came back from war. Uh, and after the Second World War, the association grew even larger. And uh, with that happening, they wanted to, being servicemen, they wanted to pro- provide a service to Canadians, but also um, raise uh, funds for, for their organization, uh, their support, and financial assistance for artificial limbs. So they started uh, the Key Tag Service, which is the largest at your honor um, service, uh, I do believe, in Canada. And uh, how it works is uh, well, basically, it's a lost key return service. So when we send out our key tags um, across Canada, when you receive them in the mail, um, to answer your first question, as soon as you receive them in the mail, they're, they're activated um, and ready to go right away. So all you need to do is open up the package and stick the keychain or the key tag on your keychain, um, and it's already working for you. So there's a nine-digit confidential number that's on each tag, and that number is linked to your name and address. Um, so like I said, as soon as you get in the mail, just put in your keychain. It's already activated to your name. Um, and how it works is if you were ever out and you lost your keys somewhere, the person who finds them just has to drop them in any mailbox or call the 1-800 number on the back and we'll identify whose keys they are. We'll send out a courier to pick them up and deliver them back to the person that lost them. Um, and again, that's a free service uh, that we've been offering Canadians now for over 70 years, and we've returned 1.5 million sets of keys since we started doing this. So this is a free service? Yeah, absolutely. So you're probably wondering, and we I get this question all the time, it's like, well, if it's a free service, how do you raise any funds? Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> well, um, it's the people that use the service um, that lose their keys and have them return that are pretty happy and uh, see value in the service and might end up donating a few dollars. Wow. I never realized that's how it worked. I have to admit that I've received the key tags for at least a dozen years now and with zero disrespect to the program, have never put the tags on my key because I thought, you know, I, I would have to pay for the service up front, but basically you count on the generosity of those that have been the benefactors of the program to donate uh, out of the generosity uh, that they feel when they've been reunited with their keys. Am, Am I outlining that essentially correct? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? The service is free for everyone to use, and I encourage all Canadians to use it for free. There's no obligation to donate um, you don't have to donate to activate it. It's activated as soon as you receive it in the mail, and you can just use the service for free. But of course, uh, you know, if, if, if someone, it does, 
If you lose your keys, it comes with a donation form, but there is no obligation to donate. You can continue to use the service for free. But, of course, you know, Canadians are very generous people, and I'm very thankful for that um, because that's how we generate most of the funds for all of our programs is the, the generosity of Canadians when using the key tag service seeing value and just donating a few dollars, even though, you know, there really is no need. You can just use the service for free, and I encourage people to do that because you're supporting a good cause, you know, no matter what. So, James, then if you or someone listening to this radio station right now didn't get the tags and they want to take advantage of this service because they didn't know, like Greg, like me, we didn't know that this is what it was all about. Uh, how do they get some tags? Uh, well, if you didn't receive your Warhams key tag in the mail already, which you probably should have because we mailed them out about a week or two ago in, in uh, across Manitoba, um, you can always visit our website, so waramps.ca. Or you can call our 1-800 number, 1-800-250-3030, and you can order your set today. It's very easy. Just jot down your name and address. That's the only information we take. And uh, link it up to a, to a key tag and send it out to you. And uh, like, I, like I said, it's absolutely free to order them and, and free to use. I'm, I'm dumbfounded right now. James Jordan, Safety Events Coordinator for the War Amps. Thank you so much for making time for us today. And I'm certain you've educated uh, more than just Brett and I on this and the fact that this service is out there. And uh, we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, Brett, when you realize, I, I know you have a remote car starter and, you know, fancy key. I've got both sets of keys for my vehicles. If I lost those keys, I bet you you're looking at close to $1,000 to replace both those key fobs for the two vehicles that we have in our family. Is that what it costs? Oh, yeah. They're expensive. I believe they're, some of them are up to seven or 800 bucks. Because oh Because if you have a remote car starter in it. To begin with, and then all the remote stuff. Yeah, I think it, it, it's multiple hundreds of dollars. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. How much are those key fobs to replace? I'm under the impression, like I say, that they're five, six, seven hundred bucks at times. Up next on six eighty CJOB, we are going to get an update from the Royal Canadian Air Force, who was called in to help in the wake of the fire situation in northern Manitoba. It's Mackling and McGarry. On 680 CJOB, Canadian forces, as we've been telling you in 680 CJOB and Global News, Canadian forces helping evacuees from northern Manitoba. The Royal Canadian Air Force in particular is assisting evacuations in uh, Manitoba's wildfires force hundreds from their homes. And we are joined now live on 680 CJOB by David Lavallee, public affairs officer with the Royal Canadian Air Force, joins us live now. Good morning, Mr. Lavallee. Good morning. So we've heard the commentary uh, from the folks in Little Grand Rapids. This is uh, more of a rescue mission now for the folks in that community. I'm not asking you to editorialize on that, but what is the update and, and how is the operation going? Well, it uh, it started yesterday, so it, it, it came together fairly quickly. We have two RCAF aircraft that are supporting this, uh, or that supported last night. Uh, we have, it's a CH-147 Chinook helicopter. It's actually with 450 Squadron, which is based at CFB Petawawa in Ontario. And it was transiting back from an exercise in Alberta yesterday when it was uh, stopped in Thunder Bay and, and retasked to support this. Uh, we also have a, C, uh, a CC-130H Hercules, which is, uh, it belongs to 19 Wing and Comox, BC, but it's based here in Winnipeg, and that is also supporting as of yesterday. So we have those two aircraft that were helping to evacuate people from the, uh, the fire area there in eastern Manitoba. How many people can these Chinook helicopters uh, carry, 
David? Well, it, 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 it depends on how it's configured inside. I'm not exactly sure how they set up for this. But I'll give you, I'll run through how things happen. I'll give you an idea of the number of people we're talking about here. So the plan was for the CH-147 to bring people from Little Grand Rapids to a place called Red Lake because the, the Hercules couldn't land at the air. Sounds like David's getting a phone call. Sorry, David, you cut out there a little bit. Are you getting a phone call at the moment? I, I don't think so. Sorry, I'll try to get to a place where you can hear me a bit better. But so just to go back to where, what I was saying before, the helicopter was bringing people from Little Grand Rapids to Red Lake, Ontario. And that's because the strip in Little Grand Rapids couldn't accommodate the Hercules. So it was bringing people to Red Lake. And from there, the Hercules was bringing them to Winnipeg. So there was about six. The plan was for 60 people to be brought from Red Lake to Winnipeg on the Herc uh, last night. And in addition to that, the Chinook was going to bring an additional 30 people from Little Grand Rapids direct to Winnipeg after bringing those 60 people to Red Lake. How many more people still need to be evacuated? That I don't know, but the plan for today is uh, for those two aircraft to continue supporting efforts, and they will likely be joined by a CC-130J Hercules, which is from Eight Wing in Trenton, Ontario. So we are, uh, we are prepared to continue supporting today based on whatever the needs of our emergency partners are. So that Chinook is acting like a shuttle, and then the Hercules is doing the heavy lifting to get folks into Winnipeg uh, when necessary. David Lavely, thank you for this. No problem. Thank you very much. David Lavely is a public affairs officer with the Royal Canadian Air Force. John Cougar Mellencamp, John Mellencamp, John Cougar, whatever you want to call him. Small Town Salute. It's brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. SouthBeachCasino.ca. And today, I don't think we've ever been here. I don't think I've ever been here other than passing through going to Roblin, Manitoba. Brett? Cool. Roblin. We're joined by Wade Schott, who is mayor of the municipality of Roblin. Mr. Schott, good morning to you. Good morning. So the, the reason why we're going to Roblin is, Greg, his attention was caught by Manitoba's premier Stillwater fly fishing competition, which actually begins today. It's the Bug Chucker <laughs> Cup. I love the name. <laughs> it's a great name. So that is, that is correct. So why don't we start with fly fishing, first of all. For those who are unfamiliar with fly fishing, and I know fishing is a huge hobby in this province, but for those who, who don't know, what is fly fishing? Okay, well, fly fishing differs from uh, uh, regular fishing where you use uh, artificial lures and a spoon or whatever and weights to put your line down. In fly fishing, you're using... Uh, a tied artificial fly that imitates the food that the trout are eating at a particular time, like uh, possibly mayflies or uh, items like that. Now, I used to live with a guy who was big into fly fishing in British Columbia, Wade, and uh, he would call it a tying of flies. Does that sound right? Well, no, the, the tying of flies is done by 
while a lot of fly fishermen tie their own. Uh, we have a fellow in our town here. He is a fly fisherman. He ties his own, and most of the rest of us would probably purchase our flies from him. Okay, okay. Yeah, because my buddy had this set up in the basement where he could actually make these things. So uh, absolutely always fascinated me, something I've never done before. And for those that have never been to Roblin before, can you get us there from Winnipeg? Sure. Uh, you can uh, go out uh, Highway, the number one, uh, turn on Highway 16, and when you get to Russell, you would turn on Highway 83 and go straight north. That would bring you into Roblin. Or you can go north on Highway 6, turn on Highway 68, uh, which crosses the Narrows, and uh, that will bring you out to St. Rose. And that puts you on the Highway 5, and you just continue on Highway 5, and it'll get you to Robin. And we're the last town before you uh, enter the Saskatchewan. Oh, you had to say the S word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not far from the border. So what is it about Roblin that makes it so conducive to fly fishing? You're known as the fly fishing capital of Manitoba. Okay, well, I guess it's because we have uh, uh, stock trout lakes here uh, that are cool, clear, and uh, and uh, that's the type of uh, environment that uh, trout like. And we've just been we've been promoting this, and uh, it's been really uh, really a big deal for us here. We're also uh, an organization called Flipper, uh, they kind of develop these some of these lakes and then turn them over to the municipalities to to run and uh, look after the maintenance. And uh, so we pay the hydro and, and things like that and look after the campground. And, uh, and we just have beautiful scenery up here. I, I don't know if you, you've said you haven't been here before, but... It's all rolling hills, uh, just beautiful scenery, friendly people. Well, you're right in between Riding Mountain National Park, the northwest corner of the park, and the southwest corner of Duck Mountain Provincial Park, almost equidistant to those incredible resources. So uh, just going through over the years up through Dauphin and uh, Grandview is about as close as I've ever been and, and up through Swan River up on Highway Number 10. I know how beautiful that part of the province is. So uh, it sounds as though that uh, neck of the woods would be very well worth a, a day trip or maybe even uh, overnight uh, in uh, extreme western Manitoba. Sure. And just to give you some information on this Bug Trucker Cup uh, as well, we have, uh, there's currently 12 teams entered for this particular tournament this weekend, and they come from uh, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. And we have one competitor from Aberdeen, Scotland, and he's the Scottish National Youth Team coach, and he's teamed up with a junior competitor from the Manitoba Youth Group out of Rossburn, Manitoba. Nice. So you get, <clears throat> it's not just national, but international as well. That's correct. Now, go ahead. No, I was just going to, no, you, I interrupted you, Mr. Mayor. Go ahead. No, all I w- wanted to say is, like, we're, 
we're well known, like all over, like in the U.S. and uh, England, uh, Scotland, uh, for our fly fishing, this resource that we have here. And well, I see that you've got, uh, as far as uh, fish are concerned, uh, uh, looks like um, rainbows. Am I seeing giant no, you, notorious giant tigers? Yes, that's in uh, Twin Lakes, just north of us here. That's a hybrid trout, and uh, there uh, people come from all over to fish for those. And one more thing about fly fishing is that because I'm picturing guys sort of standing in a in a river or, or a body of water where they're wearing waders and they're just kind of lightly sort of flicking the the fishing line back and forth. Is that fly fishing? That that is fly fishing. That's uh, fishing in a stream. What still water fishing is is you're you're fishing in a lake where the water isn't flowing it's what we call still water and you're either fishing from a float tube a small boat or canoe or whatever i uh, personally use a, a john boat so wade shot we're visiting the jewel of the parkland wade shot joining us uh this morning on small town salute this has been a, a terrific education on fly fishing Mayor shot thank you for this and have a great time uh over the next three days in the bug chucker cup uh we'll have to catch up with you again thank you so much for your time today okay thank you very much you know, if anybody's looking for stuff to do this summer, we always think we, we gotta we gotta leave the province. We gotta leave the country. Every nope. week we do these small town salutes, and I just keep getting more and more ideas. And especially when I look at the ro- the route to Roblin and what's there, but Nipawa, where mm-hmm. last year I said I want to go golfing, yes, and sir. then a place that's near and dear to your heart, Minnedosa. Certainly. So there is all co- all kinds of places to go to on your way to Roblin, Manitoba. Well- you weren't the only one singing this song after reading Jill Officer's blog, let me tell you that. Jill's house, it's affectionately known at uh, globalnews.ca. By the way, uh, it's 7.50. If Brett <laughs> set you into cardiac arrest uh, because he said it was 7.45 and he thought you had an extra four minutes to sip your coffee before leaving the house, no. You Sorry. don't. <laughs> I read the uh, the script template yes. uh, just like a robot. It's 7.45. I'm surprised I didn't say where it read the spot that says host. Colon. It's 745. <laughs> Jill Officer's in the broadcasting game now. She knows a little bit about having to be mindful of those different pitfalls. Uh, a little bit different than on the curling ice, Jill, the pitfalls in uh, writing and broadcasting? Uh, yeah, I certainly have to be mindful. I think of what you uh, what you say and, and do sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I, I have a broadcasting and uh journalism background so uh, I, I think I was trained pretty well. <laughs> well congratulations on such an incredible career. Your list of accomplishments could take up our entire segment so forgive us for not going through it but <laughs> this open letter that you've penned to the game of curling is very emotional. Uh, what is it that, that you, you love most about curling and you also mentioned it, was a, it could be a love-hate relationship at times. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. And like I said in my in my letter or my blog is, you know, um there's been times where, you know, you you want to 
just throw your broom down and walk out. Like, you know, you kind of have that hate relationship. But, I mean, ultimately it's because you love it so much that you have that passion and that it brings out that emotion as well. So, um, I mean, I'm so grateful for everything I've been able to experience in curling. It's more than I ever, ever, ever imagined. And um, just the things that I've been able to do, the memories I've made, the friends I've made, and... You know, obviously the the championships won and going to the Olympics is all incredibly special as well. But what's just as special to me is what curling's taught me about myself and, you know, uh, the people I've met and the traveling I've done. Now you say here, uh, and I quote, you brought me some of the best and happiest times in my life, but also some of the worst and lowest times. Our relationship has gone to the extremes but I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Why can't you take it anymore? Uh, you know what? I just burnt out. Uh, you know, I've been at it for a really long time. Uh, you know, at this at this elite level, I think it's been I don't know twelve or thirteen years, and and it's a lot, and it's just it's kind of becoming more every year. Um, you know, both in terms of the length of the season as well as you know, everyone's always trying to get better. And, and I was always part of that. And that was part of what I loved. But um, at some point, it just kind of becomes too much, like you just don't maybe have that energy level to to do it like that anymore. And so I just I need a break, like I need to get away. And whether I ever come back or not will remain to be seen. I, um, I just knew that I could not make a four year commitment. That was the biggest thing. And, um, the rest of my team was willing to do that. And so I said, well, I need a break. So you need a new player. <laughs> well, to go out on top the way you have Jill, and of course you're suggesting this could be more of a pause than a hard stop to be world champion and to do it the way your rink did it in North Bay was uh, incredible for those that maybe don't watch curling or watch it casually because the TV numbers would suggest that it's as, as popular as just about any sport in Canada. It, it sometimes mm-hmm. rivals hockey in terms of its TV numbers. What's the one thing that if you, you know, we'll give you the forum here to tell people about curling that they might not understand about it in terms of maybe it's intensity or, or some other aspect of the game that's misunderstood. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's still, although it's been uh, a lot better, I think that there is still a perception by some people that curling is uh, maybe not a sport. Um, but I would suggest that if that's your feeling on it, that you go and try a learn to curl clinic or you uh, somehow make arrangements to go out and try the game because it's actually not as easy as it looks. It's not as easy as you might think, and I've heard that a lot when people do go out to try it, um, they they realize that they have muscles they didn't know that they had. <laughs> um, and so it is a sport, and it's, uh, it's become more of a sport even over the last uh, 10 years. I mean, um, the athletes are putting so much more time in at the, at the gym and um, just working on all sorts of strength aspects for sweeping and for power on the hack and I, I just think that there's sometimes a misunderstanding or a, a perception that that we don't, you know, work as hard as other athletes or that our sport is not as as hard. And certainly there's aspects of it that are quite different from other sports, but it doesn't mean it's not a sport. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean it's not a sport. Just, I would encourage people to go give it a try. Cause, and, and even from a watching standpoint, I think that um, 
some people maybe find that it's boring, but I think if you give it a chance and you watch it a little bit, you start to realize, uh, you know, the intricacies of the game and the, the athleticism of the sweeping and how difficult it is to manage those rocks down the ice and, um, you know, the strategy behind it. So I think you just have to watch it a little longer than maybe you think you do. Jill, I hope we can call on you uh, again and again because we love talking about not only the the sport but uh, the athlete that I, th- I think you highlighted that perfectly. Uh, you are uh, all world-class athletes now, and I think that is underappreciated without question. Once again, congratulations on simply an outstanding career, and we hope to see you on the ice, and if not on the ice behind the microphone or on the other end of the phone line uh, with us from time to time. Yeah, you bet. Anytime, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Jill Officer, Canadian Olympic gold medalist. You can read her blog, Jill's House, Deer Curling, at cjob.com. Welcome to my house. It's my house. (laughs) Tomorrow night, by the way, opening night for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. 25th anniversary season. They lost their first two games and they're riding a four-game winning streak now as they come home to get things uh, kicked off on the home part of their schedule. It was last Friday I sat here and said, how'd you like to be a fan of the Washington Capitals? They won their first two games and then lost three in a row to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay Lightning had two chances to close out the Eastern Conference Championship. And uh, what do they do? They lose two in a row. Not only did they lose two in a row to the Washington Capitals, they got shut out in back-to-back games. So Alexander Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals are going to the Stanley Cup final against the Vegas Golden Knights. Christian O'Mell, Kelly Moore joining myself, Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry uh, in studio to talk about this. I don't know if, if you predicted this. I don't know how much money you would have put money on Capitals Golden Knights well, in the final. Well, the cap or the Golden Knights right off the start of the season were 300 to 1, mm. 500 to 1 in some spots. So you couple that with everyone giving up on the Capitals at this point, right? There's been so many years of they lose in the second round, they get close, but no cigar. So I think everyone, it was like the Sharks a couple of years ago. Everyone had just assumed they were never going to do it. And then the Sharks got to the cup final, didn't win it, but they lost in six to the Penguins. So now you have the similar situation of a team that's been so snake bitten for so long to finally get that hurdle. And Alex Ovechkin, the best goal scorer of our generation, has a chance to get a ring. And, you know, you go back to the very start of the playoffs for Washington. They lose those first two games at home to Columbus. You know, Barry Trotz made the decision to go with Philip Grubauer mm-hmm. instead of Braden Holby. And you're mm-hmm. thinking, these guys... They're they're done. The sure. capital curse is going to and continue. They're going to blow that team up. Yeah, exactly. And but yet this was the first time that I can remember that the Capitals didn't make a big trade or two at the playoff deadline to to bolster. I mean, when you look at their roster, you know that that's basically the one with a few Hershey call ups uh, that have performed very well for them uh, that they uh, that they went into the season with. Well, that's only the second most intriguing thing about the roster of both teams. Yeah. Should we just rename the Stanley Cup the McPhee Cup <laughs> after George McPhee, who was yeah. the former general manager of the Washington Capitals, now the general manager of the Vegas Golden Knights? He has essentially put together both these teams. Fair to say, Kelly, more or less in terms of the Washington Capitals? Well, for sure, with Vegas, you know, with with a lot of help 
from uh, from his supporting staff, uh, led by Kelly McCrimmon. Uh, but with respect to you know the, the 22 main guys on Washington, they have a roster of 26, but the, the 22 main guys, 13 of them are George McPhee mm, draft picks or, or or people that he brought up through the system. You know, there are nine, you know, and there's a couple of good players, players there, Oshie uh, and uh, TJ Oshie and, and Lars Eller have been playing really well, that George McPhee didn't have his fingerprints over. And, of course, one thing that's being brought up a lot uh, is <laughs> the deal with Nashville against mm. former uh, with former Caps GM David Poyle, who, uh, who fleeced him on the uh, Martin Urad deal for Philip. Forsberg. What did Harry Neal say that one time? Even Betty Crocker burns the odd cake. Yeah. <laughs> you're allowed. Perfect every time. You're allowed. Christian, so uh, sorry, Greg. It's Mackling and McGarry, so I, <laughs> I want to play in the sandbox too. Come on. So, Gary Bettman, I assume, is it safe to assume he's happier that it's Vegas and Washington versus Winnipeg and Tampa Bay mm. in the final? I think absolutely, yes. I think Washington for sure over Tampa Bay. From a rating standpoint, no one cares about Tampa Bay. Washington has the, A, they're a, a market people can recognize, and B, they've got Alexander Ovechkin. He's got star power in a way that Steven Stamkos doesn't nationally in the States. It's someone I think a lot of people can rally behind and say, all right, he's reached this point in his career, he's older now. People have a sympathetic feel to him that they want him to finally get a cup. But the problem is, in any other season... That would be the story. You go to the other side of the ice and you've got this Vegas team that has... It's the story of sports Exactly. Of the year. So you've got a bunch of casual viewers that think, oh, expansion team could win a trophy? That's so cool. Let's watch. And it's Vegas and it's their first pro team. And if you watch any hockey, you have to fall in love with Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, I would disagree, though, that Gary Bettman would be happier about Vegas being in there than Winnipeg because a big chunk of revenue for the National Hockey League comes out of Canada. And and so, therefore, the loss of Winnipeg. Now, I think people are, you know, people in Canada are going to watch for what Christian just described there, you know, the Vegas phenomenon. Can, mm-hmm. they, can they do this? I mean, to me, this is the most unlikely uh, accomplishment in sports since Leicester City, uh, you know, it, it, English it, Premier League in the yeah in the British Premier League, yeah, it it is very very comparable to that with what the Vegas Golden Knights have done, uh, and and of course you know there's so many great storylines, you know, Mark Andre Fleury who has been the arch nemesis of the well, Washington all three Capitals. rings he has right he beat Washington on the way yeah <laughs> you know you've got the George McPhee factor you know Nate Schmidt who was left exposed by the Washington Capitals and and also sat many a night in the press box for the Washington Capitals, is now the number one guy on the Vegas uh, Golden Knights blue line. So, you know, and, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There'll be a lot more stories told between now and Monday night when the puck finally drops. Well, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot has been made of the fact that home ice advantage really doesn't matter anymore. Does Is it going to matter in this series? Yeah, I was trying to remember uh, at one point in the... Um, uh, in the Winnipeg Vegas series, I, I know the road team had the better record in the playoffs by one or two yeah, games. Yeah, right? I don't know what, what it is right now. I'd have to go back. Definitely and above that 500. Out. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think Washington likes the idea of starting on the road in this series. I think they really do. They've performed so well uh, away from home, and with the expectation that's going to be now on their shoulders, you know, to, to win that first ever cup and to be in the final for the first time in 20 years, probably a, a good set of circumstances for them that it's starting in Sin City. How many games are we going to see? 
I, you know what? I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I quit, Kelly. I absolutely you. quit on predicting because okay. I, yeah, I have been an absolute abysmal failure. As a matter of fact, I just took my uh, my uh, glass ball and uh, I'm going to have Hitman tee off with it at his next golf. <laughs> Brett smash. Oh, yeah, uh, Brett smash. <laughs> Christian O'Mell, Kelly Moore, thank you very much for joining us to talk about. The the final, the North American Ice Hockey League Championship That's final. The That's the one. Yep. Finally here. We're gonna get some some precipitation in the form of uh, some tumultuous weather. If you have uh, fancy, if you have fancy cushions for your outdoor furniture, you might want to bring them inside so they don't get soaked or blown away. Yeah. Do you have uh, fancy furniture like that? I uh, well, not not fancy. They're just. Um, more and more expensive than I'd want them to be. Is if that you, fair? If you were dog sitting, would you let uh, that dog sit on them? No, I would not. I would not. Okay, but maybe our next guest would. Laura Voyer is her Voyer is her name. Sorry, I, Jerry told me how to say your name, and I just can't read. Laura Voyer is here. She is an entrepreneur and pet sitter, and she joins us now live on 680 CJOB. And Laura, you are not just a pet sitter, but a pet sitter to the stars. Yes, some of them are. That's true. Absolutely. But most of them are just, you know, I hate to say regular folks, but people who are not stars. (laughs) Okay, so these are the pets of the stars. We were wondering if maybe you exclusively looked after, you know, dog actors or cat, you know, you know, (laughs) that you're a pet sitter of just just star animals. So now we've got that uh, perfectly clear. We uh, we want to know about you know I used to babysit my uh, my siblings when I was younger and my mom would inevitably leave me a list of things that I had to do some instructions and then those instructions got weirder as I would start uh, actually getting paid for babysitting other people's kids what are some of the crazier instructions that you've been left in terms of a pet uh, that you're looking after Laura. Oh, my gosh, so many instructions and documentation and just like a book, you know, like books of instructions, volumes of things to do and where the dog likes to get pet and how they like to be spoken to and what their favorite place to curl up in is do's and don'ts and temperature in the house and, you know, where they like to sleep and what they like to watch and what their best things to eat are. Oh, yeah, I mean, I have all these things. What they like to watch? Like on TV? (laughs) Yes. Okay. What what are some of the shows? Well, they like any shows that have um, dogs in them, and they like family shows, apparently, and a lot of them like game shows. Oh, <laughs> probably know, all the... like the things you and I like. Mm, interesting. <laughs> all the flashing lights and uh, big sounds. Um, so you like got commercials. <laughs> so you've got this book, The Pet Sitter's Tale, and it's a, a sort of a collection of, of short stories of the, the various, I guess, encounters that you've had. So can you maybe just give us an example of, uh, about some of the stories you've collected in the last uh, 15 years or so? Sure. I mean, some of my craziest stories about people being just over the top in love with their furry children and having me 
you know, duplicate some of the things that they do for their pets. And to your point of talking about fancy furniture, I had clients who had the most rambunctious boxers and they refused to create them in their home. And they were just destroying furniture in their house and shoes and walls and eating everything in the house. And I said, well, you should probably create them. No, we can't do it. That's cruel, Laura. We're going to put them outside. Well, the next day when I walked in their house, I looked in their backyard. I thought, how could it be snowing in their backyard and not anywhere else? And then when I walked through, they had torn open the cushions of all the patio furniture and had just ripped it to shreds. And it was just all, all floating throughout the backyard and in the pool. And, like, just they were having a field day with it. And I said, "Uh, guys, when I called my client, you know, you're not going to believe this. Well, do you know next day came in crates? (laughs) (laughs) Laura, what always amazes me about uh, dogs in particular is their intuition and how they can recognize even footsteps. I used to have, a, my mom used to have a dog named Winston, and he wasn't allowed to leave a certain area of the kitchen. And when my mom came down the stairs, he was all relaxed when he was outside of his boundaries, but he knew the sound of my stepdad's foot off the top of that first step, and boom, he would be lying back to where he was supposed to be. They're so smart. Oh, they're so smart. They're even smarter than we give them credit for, and we give them a lot of credit, don't we? hundred <laughs> percent. Now, it's not just dogs that you've uh, looked after over the years. Some, uh, What about some of the more exotic pets you've looked after? So the exotic ones really stand out because normally it's like the majority dogs and then cats and then you have birds and fish and all, you know, kind of just sort of your typical house pet. But um, a llama, I had a, a family that uh, had rescued some llamas and so I looked after the llamas. I looked after a uh, Vietnamese potbelly pig who was quite loud and horses and chickens and, you know, uh, turtles and snakes and, you know, you name it. If you can think of it, we probably looked after a couple horses too. And, you know, you get those, those big farm animals and we're not used to that out here. I'm in LA, but you know, if people can kind of show us the rundown on it and if they're not aggressive, we'll help them out while they're gone. So Laura, I mean, the idea of being able to afford uh, a pet sitter to for services like yours, uh, that sounds awesome. But for, for most of us, that's maybe not something we can afford. Uh, maybe especially a young couple that's just trying to get started in their, their life and build their family. What, what would you say to somebody who maybe just got a puppy and can't afford a pet sitter to come take care of their, their new little baby? Okay, so here's what I say. If you want to get a dog and the only thing that is preventing you from having or adopting that pet is that you're kind of stumped for what to do during the day and if you can't afford to have someone come in, I would say look for someone in your neighborhood or locally that will do a trade with you. And and I've had that happen to me a lot. People say we can't afford it anymore, but you know what? We found a family down the street and they work later than we do, so we're going to do a a timeshare, if you will. We'll take care of their pet and they'll take care of ours. So look for someone who will do that trade with you, and it's probably closer than you might think, maybe just as close as a neighbor. You know, anywhere you're part of the community, at the school or a church, or even ask the local veterinarian, because a lot of times people are willing to do that kind of thing for free or for trade because they want to spend the time with the pets. So I think if they just, you know, put, put, put your eyes and ears on it, and you'll find somebody, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to reciprocate, and that'll be like a, a beautiful thing. Uh, Pets are a huge business right now and uh, lots of opportunities for entrepreneurs, including our guest this morning, Laura Warrior. Laura, thank you for this, and uh, hopefully we can uh, connect with you again sometime. Love your storytelling. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Have a great day. You too, Laura Vorrier. The website, yourdogsbestfriend.org. The name of the book is The Pet Sitter's Tale. This is the headline. Students pitch in toward brighter future. Looking at a Winnipeg Free Press article here. Conference puts focus on environmental and social sustainability. And it's high school students sharing big ideas for the city and the province. In studio, we have with us Scott Angus, who is co-founder of an organization called HP Change. And we have two students with us. One is on the phone. One is in studio. One of them is Mahyar Mir. Shed. He's in studio and Quinn Fleming joins us now live on the phone on 680 CJOB. So first I'll say good morning to you, Scott. Hello. Hi. Hi guys. Oh, it helps if I turn your microphone oh, there on. There you go. I was so focused on getting Yara's name correct <laughs> that I didn't turn on your <laughs> microphone. So I apologize for that. And uh, good morning to you, Yara. How are you, sir? Good. I'm good. You got a deep voice, by the way. I told you you had a great voice for radio. You you went uh, for a sip of water, and I'm like, oh, man, he's going to be great on on the air. But, Scott, before we uh, introduce our listeners to these uh, fascinating young people, why don't you tell us a little bit about HP Change and, and, and what it is that you're doing and what the intention of this organization is? For sure. So so HP Change uh, is an organization that uh, I founded uh, a few months ago, actually, and uh, it's been a great ride. And essentially, we're trying to create a platform and an environment where students uh, can take their ideas, grow them, and turn them into action. So that that was, you know, what the focus was with our event yesterday was to hear big ideas for from our students about what they want for their city and what they want to create and the future they want to create. So we got existing community leaders together to share their insights and as well to hear the ideas. And and we put some things in place to to make sure that we not only hear the ideas, but also turn them uh, into reality. And on the phone, we have Nelson McIntyre, collegiate student uh, Quinn Fleming. And Quinn, I understand that uh, yesterday morning you, you kind of had to face a, a Dragon's Den style panel. So what was it that you were pitching to this panel? Oh, you know what? We're, it sounds like we're having a hard time with Quinn. Um, so we'll try Quinn again in a moment. And in the meantime, we will turn our attention to young Mr. Mirashed here. And uh, what was, uh, did you face the panel as well? I did, I did, I did. And what did you, what did you have to pitch? So in light of recent events uh, in the U.S. and all that, we were thinking of implementing a threat detection system in schools to protect young students and create a safer learning environment. So. A threat detection system. Yeah. Like yeah. so, what kind? How would that work? So it would be like a system where we would like take a look at um, conversations. Come a little closer to the microphone. Let us hear that that deep baritone voice of yours. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it would it would monitor the conversations students are having. It would look for keywords within conversations, and it would just flag some users who are at risk. And what we would do is we would take a look at these students, and we would. Uh, go approach them and we would try to help them with whatever they're trying to face. Wow. I mean, that, that sounds like a, a fascinating idea. All sorts of questions come to my mind, but the, the immediate one and maybe the most important one, what was the reaction uh, by the panel when you presented this idea? What, what was the feedback? Well, the panel kind of liked our idea. They said, well, it's a great idea. Um, one of the things they... Uh, mentioned was it's just 
with all these things happening right now, it's too much of like going back and dealing with the aftermath. And what we need to do is try to create a prevention system, stop it from happening. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So we have a show on CJOB called An Ounce of Prevention. And uh, when you talk about monitoring conversations, what in what method are you going to be monitoring these conversations? Is it like monitoring texts or conversations in the hall? So no, we're just trying to focus on the social media aspect. That's because most of these uh, students who get to these points are usually crying out on social media. That's kind of their last thing, and we're trying to stop it at the last moment. You know, that's like the place where they always go to. So if we can stop it there, then we stop a lot of other things that happens because of it. Yar, what uh, what grade are you in? What school do you go to? Oh, I'm in grade 11, and I go to Oak Park High School. So these conversations, when we, you know, we saw this tragic, uh, uh, I call them mass murders in schools because they're not school shootings. That's when nobody's killed in my mind. Uh, what happened in Texas and Florida, uh, all these tragedies. Do, or, do you talk about these things amongst your friends, and do you, is this something that concerns individuals in our part of the world? Well... In our school, we usually talk about it. Yeah, we um, we have a little class discussions about it, and we just try to sort it out between ourselves just to make sure everyone's feeling okay. Um, but even if it's happening in the U.S., it still affects us here, you know. It's really tragic to see that kind of stuff happen. And we would try to have a great space for everybody to share their feelings and feel welcome. So did you end up getting a grant? Out of uh, the panel that you... I did did not, no. You did not? No, no. Is is that your responsibility, Scott? Absolutely not. Well, all the ideas were were tremendous, Um, but uh, we we, we had two winners yesterday, and we had 11 pitches, and so I wish we could give grants to all 11 because they were like the ideas that you just heard from my heart. Um, They were all fantastic, and so we... We, we unfortunately couldn't, couldn't give 11, but uh, we gave two. But one thing that we really wanted to focus on was that even though a grant maybe wasn't received, we can still support in any way, whether it be skill development or connection or, or just being there and being more events and a platform for students to work out their idea and what they need from us to, to make it happen. And these things uh, tend to create network opportunities for like-minded individuals, and that's at any level of entrepreneurship or social relevance, right? When you have these discussions, you realize that there are people in your circle that you didn't realize were in your circle because there's a forum offered. Yesterday, there was something called the HP Change, the first ever. HP Change High School Conference at the Manitoba Institute of Technology where 11 pitches were made to a Dragon's Den style panel and uh, of these pitches, uh, two of them won grants, uh, $500 grants actually. One of those grants went to a 17-year-old grade 11 student from Nelson McIntyre. His name is Quinn Fleming. He's on the phone. We have a couple of studio guests as well uh, but Quinn we tried to bring you on earlier technology failed us so let's try this again what did you get a grant for what did you pitch yesterday uh, well I, I pitched a, a bicycle program uh, where we take bicycles from the Brady landfill and uh, we take them into our power mechanic shop and anyone who wants to fix the bike and repair it uh, they use the tools and the parts we give them and they walk away with a the bike 
So you called it earn a bike, is that right, Quinn? Earn a bike, yeah. And to earn a bike, all you have to do is fix it. <laughs> now, how big is uh, the school, Nelson Mac, uh, Mount Nelson McIntyre? It's, uh, I think it's just touching 280 students, something like that. It's super, super small. So what inspired you to kind of put together a pitch like this and to get involved in, in this organization and this event? Uh, well, uh, one of my teachers, Mr. Sabrin, uh, he, he approached me and he, uh, he said this event would be going on. And he had this program partially established in previous years, uh, but he wanted, um, uh, you know, some event that, that could possibly take it to the next level, you know, uh, bring some awareness out about it and, uh, um, you know, maybe a little bit of money that would help as well. Well, and, and I see that uh, there is also an opportunity here to partner with uh, another local organization uh, known as Wrench. They do a lot of stuff. I believe they partake with uh, the police bike auction, if memory serves. Greg's nodding his head. Uh, so the, it looks like you've, you've come up with an idea here that has all sorts of uh, paths, trails that it can branch off to. Yeah, yeah. We do have connections with the Wrench, actually, and that's how we're able to uh, get the bicycles. Um, we, we get them from straight from the landfill. And it, it, how many bicycles, I know the answer to this, but maybe you can tell us, Quinn, how many bicycles uh, go to the landfill here in Winnipeg every year? Every year, 5,000. That's a startling number of wow. bicycles that could be repurposed and reused. My grandfather had a friend in Fort Rouge who would do this exact thing, rehabilitate bicycles and give them back to the community. It was a passion project of his. And, and Scott, we were talking about this in this day and age. There's not just 17 things you can do for a career. You can really do when you're a young person. You can do whatever you want. That, that's not a hollow statement in a, in a lot of cases. Yeah, for sure. And and that's one thing we tried to convey yesterday. And that's one thing that we're learning from from young people themselves is that their passions and their interests can turn into a career. They can make they can make that happen. And that could be their their lifelong journey uh, and a part of it. So it's it's not that you're siloed into a few options here and there, but you can really make your career and, and what you do uh, your choice and, and what what you feel strongly about. Scott Angus is co-founder of a new organization in our community trying to bring young people together and give them the opportunity to share ideas not only about prosperity, entrepreneurship, but social matters as well. It's called HP Change. The H stands for higher, P stands for purpose, and we're uh, thrilled to welcome him into the studio along with two individuals who were presenting at a conference yesterday, Brett McGarry. That's right, and one of them is on the phone. His name is Quinn Fleming. He is a student from Nelson McIntyre, and he actually got a $500 grant for an idea that he had called Earn a Bike, wherein bikes are taken from the Brady landfill, and students who want to fix them in the school's power mechanics shop get to do that because what was how many bikes again go into the dump 5000 right quinn i mean it's it's a crazy number and and what is i mean i know having a bike is one thing and, and there's a certain status uh, if you will surrounding having a bicycle but what does a bicycle potentially represent for a young person uh, outside of that status uh well it really is an access to opportunity right but once you have a bicycle you can And once you're active is when you're younger, it, it, it carries on to your later life. So it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it does double fold there. It does both, uh, both 
opportunities in both these languages. Quinn, we're having that uh, technical difficulty again, so we're going to press pause on that. Yeah, it I might d- just be that the phone isn't being held close enough to the face. I'm not entirely sure what's happening there. Yeah. Uh, but our, our studio guest as well, another student, uh, he's from Oak Park, Mahyar Mirashed, and his pitch uh, with another student, Lauren Bartlett, is involved reducing harmful events in schools by implementing threat detection software. And I want to revisit that in a moment and ask you how that all works. But I understand that uh, you're already cooking up something new. You're getting ready for a new venture. You're 17. Or how are you, 17? Uh, almost, actually, in August. You're yeah. 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 16 yeah. is already working on... I'm not quite yet, yeah. 17. <laughs> already working on a venture. I don't even know if I knew what venture meant when I was 16 years old. So what are you working on? Uh, so I'm working on a tutoring business, what I'll do is I'll go into schools and I'll get really strong tutors who love helping out their classmates. And what I'll do is I'll get them part of this organization and I'll try to get them to start helping out younger children, even in like elementary schools, kids who are struggling with math. That's where the struggles with math really start. It's down in elementary. So once we can get those people going, then you create this social sustainability thing for future. The enthusiasm, yeah. <laughs> Greg and I are a little speechless here because the passion and enthusiasm being displayed by this young man is very encouraging. And Scott, when you see and hear this, uh, this is must be gratifying for you because considering you started this venture of yours to see this kind of thing. For sure, and 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 that's the whole reason why why we did it. Right, was to have an opportunity for students like Quinn and, and Mahiar to to have an opportunity to to not only share what what you know the dreams that they have for for their life and for the lives of others but also an opportunity to to make it happen so bringing them together and building their network and so they have more opportunities to do so is is incredibly uh, gratifying personally, but I think it's a duty that we all have is to give more opportunities and, and a voice to our young people. Okay, so if we were on Dragon's Den right now, I'm in on <laughs> your idea with regards to the tutoring. I think it's brilliant on multitude of, of levels, but what what it, we were speaking before we came into the studio about a half an hour ago, you were outside and we were talking about the you know the value proposition that most most businesses build their ideas around, and and, and it's about selling you something. But y- you're taking a little bit of a different report uh, approach to this, Mahir. Tell tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yesterday we had this presentation, and he, the guy, talked about a lot about the why, the how, and the what. So what a lot of companies are doing, which is kind of like uh, the commercial kind of thing, is just. We start off with telling you the what, the specs, and all that. We tell you how we did it, but we rarely tell you why. We rarely tell you why we're doing these things. Like, why are we going to get a better phone with better specs? Why does that matter to the consumer? So what we're trying to do is try to go from the opposite way. We're trying to take a new approach. We're trying to go from the why, tell you why it matters, what's our conviction, how we're doing it, and then what we're going to do. That's yeah. how you sell that idea. Well, and I like that you use the cell phone uh, idea as well because uh, I'm kind of a, a bit of a cell phone geek, not not super hardcore, but I like to know the new technology. And it's always there's always this info dump of of information about the phone that it's got the latest Snapdragon chip and it does I don't know how many teraflops of speed. I'm making up terms right now, <laughs> but none of that stuff means anything to the person who just wants to post pictures on Instagram or whatever. Uh, so to go from that aspect, I think, makes it a way more 
mainstream approach and makes it easier for from a consumer basis or a com- company trying to understand why they should invest in you, for example. And this, I want you to help me understand your your software pitch a little bit here because you had this threat detection software pitch. How? Let me ask you this: it's 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 looking at threat detection software monitoring social media, right? Yeah, yeah. So is that not a bit of a is that a privacy invasion? Do you think? Well, no, not really, because if you take a look at social media, when you put something on social media, you're putting out to the world, right? So whatever goes on there, that's a uh, representation of you. So anybody who has that information can do anything you want with it. That's part of like the terms of service that you agree with when you sign up for social media. So what we're doing is we're taking advantage of that, and we're trying to help people. We're not trying to isolate them. We're trying to comfort them. We're trying to create a better environment for students. Well, it's data mining for good, right? As, yeah. as opposed to evil, as uh, we've seen potentially examples of over the last little while. Quinn, before we let you go, I want to ask you the why of the Earn a Bike program. What was the impetus uh, for you? And and are you learning anything out of helping with that program that you didn't imagine that you might? People with uh, Just seeing people with, with the bikes, you know. Uh, the, who wouldn't be able to have a bike otherwise you know it, it really it we we do it to give people bikes and we do it to give people the skills to maintain bikes and uh seeing them walk away with both the skills to maintain a bike and a bike itself it, it's very rewarding quinn who retrieves the bikes out of the brady landfill would that uh is are you volunteering for that uh, well, I easily could. It, it, it's my teacher, uh, uh, Mr. Sabrin. He, he he goes to the landfill and he brings out the uh, the bicycles. But I guess I could hop along if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I know that with the way Brady's set up now, uh, diverting uh, these sorts of items from the landfill is much easier now. You have to go through sort of an inspection process with uh, workers at the dump versus just kind of dumping things in the massive pile. So that's been one of the benefits of changing the way you get rid of your your unwanted junk at the dump. At Quinn, just one thing I wanted to share with you, and I don't know if it resonates or not real quick. I know for me, my bicycle when I was 15, 16, 17 represented an opportunity to earn extra money because it meant now that I could I could get a job a little bit further from home where there were jobs, a job that might nece- necessarily, you know, make me work until 11 o'clock at night. I wouldn't feel safe walking home, but riding a bike was something that I felt comfortable doing at that hour of the day. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely understand. And that's that's one of the reasons why I, I, I spearheaded this, try to spearhead this idea, because it's just, it is more than a bike. And I think that's what people need to know. All right. Well, Quinn Fleming, we will leave it there with you. Thank you very much. And congratulations to you. And Mahyar Mirashed, congratulations to you. I know you didn't you wa- didn't walk away with a grant, no, uh, but right. you're clearly uh, also a bright young man with, uh, I'm sure, a bright future ahead of you. Not even 17 and you're already looking to start your own business. Are you still going to try to go ahead with this software, this threat detection software? Well, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I just need a... I'll try to find other places where I can get some funding. It does cost money for the software, but I'm sure once we get it into a couple schools, it will start launching off by its own. Well, you've started a tremendous conversation here, Scott and Mahyar and to Quinn. Thank you for being so open with your ideas and being brave brave and bold enough to share them with the group, so to speak. Uh, Tremendous honor to meet all three of you. Yeah, thank you. Scott, how does one get in touch with you and your organization uh, moving forward? 
Yeah, so HP Changes uh, can be found online on social media at HP Change on Twitter and Instagram. And as well, uh, you can head to our website at hpchange.com where we have an HP Ask uh, tile. And we're looking for young people if they have any questions or need to be connected. Tile? Or... That sounds like a real hip young thing. What, 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 is, what is this, Scott Angus? I, I really just made that up. I, <laughs> I, I call it a tile. It's a segment of our website that uh, young people can ask anything and we'll try to help them with any ideas or anything relating to their career and, their, and uh, how they want to bring action to, uh, to the world. You call it a tile. Did you ever have a Windows phone? Were you one of those guys? <laughs> no. Okay. I, I did not. Okay. All right. Yeah, Scott Angus, but... thank you very much. Mahyar Mirashed and Quinn Fleming. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Behind the Glass, Jerry. And Tristan Field-Jones in for Chanelie today on 680 CJOB. And then-